and welcome back to The Sound Table. This is episode nine. I'm your host, Austin, and I'm joined by your co-host, Miranda. Hello. Today, we are going to talk about how we make sample packs and preset packs. So if you're not familiar, we have a website called makepopmusic.com where we make sample packs, preset packs. We have free content that samples and presets. And uh, it's been a really big part of our business model. And having those packs on there has kind of afforded us the time to do things like make weekly tutorials and have this podcast and do a bunch of stuff like that. But we get a lot of questions on what the process is actually like to make a sample pack or a preset pack, how much time goes into it, how much thought goes into it, how methodical is it versus just like trial and error. I figured we would just bust down the walls on that today. So we're going to talk about how we make our sample packs, how we make preset packs, how we distribute those. And uh, we're going to answer all of your questions that you've ever had about paid content. So to kick off how we start our sample packs and preset packs, I guess we should probably go over what it's like actually coming up with the concept of a pack and how we decide what we're going to make, what's going to be free content, what's going to be paid content. And uh, that typically will happen with like a meeting that Miranda and I will do. How often we do, do we do those? Like once a quarter, maybe once Twice a quarter. A quarter yeah. Once every couple months. Yeah. Basically, whenever we're like, all right, we need to organize these ideas and start executing. Yeah. So we'll have a meeting. We typically will do them at like a coffee shop or a brewery or uh, like a wine bar or something like that. Somewhere that we can just chill out for a couple hours, either have a coffee or a drink and just lay everything out on a couple Google documents and then kind of narrow down. Typically, the way that we pick out what we want to do for our packs is we actually let the community decide. So it's not super uncommon that we'll post polls in our uh, Facebook group or on our Instagram or to our YouTube channel. And we'll just kind of see what people are looking for. Do they want samples? Do they want presets? And if they want presets, what instrument do they want those for? Do they want Serum or Vital or Anna 2? Are they looking for this genre or that genre? Are they looking for a big pack that's going to cost $70 or a small pack that's going to cost 20 So most of our market research is just done by like polls, really, and mm -hmm. like what our community wants to hear. Or like what's popular at the moment. Right. And even still, like we'll find, you know, like right now that like 80s inspired pop stuff that's similar to like Charlie Puth, even like to do a leap of stuff a little bit, that's still really popular. What we'll do is we'll start noticing that a lot of people in our group are talking about albums like that. A lot of people are requesting tutorials. That's kind of how topics get brought to the table of like, okay, well, this is really popular right now. It's something that people really want to see. And it's something that they're asking for. We really just try to give the audience exactly what they're looking for because we don't want to like reinvent the wheel. We don't want to have to spend more time trying to figure out how to convince people that they need something. Right. rather than them just asking for it and us just making it. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how we focus our attention. And then we'll just figure out like, okay, do we want to do presets or samples? Uh, and if so, when are they coming out? How are they coming out? And so that's kind of the process of coming up with what a pack is going to be. Once we've kind of decided that, then we go into actually doing some research. So like Miranda just said, we'll find a genre or a style or we'll get requests to do something within a, spe a specific lane. But at the same time, then we'll go and we'll pay attention to have there been a bunch of preset packs like this? Mm -hmm. Does Splice have a million samples that already sound like this? Is there a reason that we need to go out of our way to create them? Because I'm not doing things just to... Like get money from it. Right. You want to do it if there's like either... Even if there is something out there, if you're like, okay, yeah, well, I still feel like I could add something to this, 
then we'll still do something. Or if we feel like something is missing, like with the um, Silk Sonic kit, when you heard, when that first single came out, you were like, I want to do a Silk Sonic drum kit. Right. And we, I mean, that obviously came out, the actual pack came out way longer after the single, but there wasn't anything in the market that was really like that. And that was fulfilling that. Like niche. Yeah. So right, like that's why that was created. There were drum sample packs that were really good at being like multi-sampled full velocity packs, but none that really had that like mixing style of that Silk Sonic record or that specifically sounded like that. And to be honest, when we're making things, especially sample packs and preset packs, I'm making things that I want to use in my production process. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too. Like we've had multiple packs where a good handful of the the presets and the samples, and we'll talk a little bit later about how I actually make those, but a good handful of those come from sessions where I made them on the spot for something because I needed something. Mm-hmm. And so they worked for me in multiple sessions. I figure that they'll work for other people. So we figure out a pack that they can kind of fit in. Yeah, that's but, how it all really started was that you were like, oh, well, I want these pop samples, but I can't find exactly what I'm looking for, but I can create it. And then other people wanted what you were creating. And then it just kind of has, you know, snowballed from there. Exactly. So once we have kind of our list of things to pick from, we kind of see what our audience wants. We kind of do some polls and see what people need the most. And I kind of look inward to my process and see, you know, what I kind of need the most for the sounds that I'm trying to achieve as a producer that's then where we will do that research. And if there's something that's super saturated, like, again, we're not going to make it just to say we made it. We're only going to do something if we can find a new way to do it, or we're kind of nailing something that hasn't been done to oblivion and back, which is a big reason. Like we don't do a lot of hip hop packs. We don't do a lot of electronic packs. A lot of those lanes, there are really, really good people who are already doing them. You can go on Mm -hmm. to Splice and you can find all of the good trap drum samples of all time, where you can go buy, you know, Ill Minds drum kits, or you can go buy Echo Soundworks, you know, electronic serum packs and drum kits. And that's not what we want to do. We want to focus on things where, you know, I can't go find a bunch of things that sound exactly like the new Dua Lipa album for presets. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how we come up with like what's an essential thing that we want to create. Once we do that, that's kind of when we'll start focusing on how are we going to brand and like package this pack. And we do this just to make it super easy for whoever's kind of interested in purchasing it or looking at it. And that's a big reason that most of our packs are named after either like they're named after the subgenre or they're named after a sound or a feeling or something that you're going to get with that. Let's talk about Poptopia, right? That's a good example. But I would say that's this is like kind of the most difficult part. Yes. Because we will sit here and think of a name for a pack and a concept for the pack forever, you guys. It takes so long. Like not the concept, sorry, the artwork. Like thinking of these things, we go back and forth for such a long time of what to name it, what what the artwork should look like for it. Because we want it to be simple and easily digestible. But now we've gotten to the point where like I said, before we were just naming them based off of like subgenre, but well, now we're doing like these bigger all-encompassing packs. Yeah, and the ones before, they all had the same design, which mm. is nice, but Austin was very bored of that, and I was kind of too. I was like, eh, we can't just keep, how many more like little neon sign things can you do? Like there's only so many things right. you can do with that. And we wanted to start doing more like artsy, cute, not cute, but well, I think they're cute. <laughs> we get so many compliments on the Poptopia box to this day. Like Clay uh, that's absolutely Clay destroyed that. that box. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just something that we were like, basically what we do is we sit down and we just say a bunch of words that we want to go with this pack. Like, okay, this, what is this pack encompassing? It's encompassing all of these things. And then we'll just like like word vomit things that we think half of them are most of them are bad ideas but sometimes it'll help like if you say something like I don't know like pop world like that's a terrible name for a pack but oh no offense if that's a pack but if you say that you're gonna be like 
eh, no, you know it's not a good idea, but then that could trigger something in the other person's brain and the other person could be like, wait, what about Poptopia? And like, that's kind of how we do it. We just kind of word vomit ideas until something good happens. Usually we have a name 99% of the time, if not 100%, we have the name and then we go, okay, well, what do we want this box to look like? Right. And obviously Poptopia is a good one because we were like, okay, well, Utopia, like what would you picture? And then we just kind of like told Clay and... Clay literally killed it first try. I don't even know if we... There weren't revisions. Honestly, I don't think there were any revisions. He there just weren't. like plucked it right from our brains and Well, Poptopia it. happened because we had had Spectrum and the name Spectrum, that's a serum pack as well. And we named it that because we had presets and sounds across the full spectrum of genres. Yeah, like and we that's were why taking, it's like a rainbow, obviously. Yeah. Like a color spectrum. And that one was more simple. And then Poptopia, I was like, we can't call it Spectrum Volume 2. It's kind of what it is. It's like a bunch of assorted presets and sounds that really are good for any kind of genre or subgenre in pop. But like at the time I was just thinking like, these things are going to be some of the best, most useful pop presets we can imagine. Like we're really going out to make like the end all be all serum preset for pop. Yeah. And so... I was just like, I don't know, like we we have like a running list of probably 20 things. And for some reason, we just landed on Poptopia and it just felt right because I was like, this feels like the perfect amalgamation of serum presets for pop. And yeah. it, it does feel like it's like a haven of really amazing presets and, and mm -hmm. things like that. And then, yeah, like Miranda said, once we had that name, like we're both big Disney fans. Disney does a lot of these like retro, like 60s, 70s, almost like the Jefferson style cartoon animations mm, mm -hmm. and we kind of sent a bunch of references like that to clay with you know the utopia vibe and then he kind of made it look like the jetsons meets you know a bunch of music iconography and it just came out really really cool mm -hmm. and then like for the new uh, course that we're working on like i won't give away too too much on that but like we had the entire course mapped out video by video like i knew exactly what we needed to record we knew exactly what genre it was going to be in but we had not named the course we tried everything for about two weeks and then we just landed on a, a name that was simple enough that people will understand. It's not overused. It's not going to have a bunch of SEO competition traffic and things like that. And once we had a name, again, we hit Clay up to do this one. And uh, I think he's working on the box right now. Every time I, I hire somebody, whether it's a designer or a sound designer or uh, anybody, a producer that I'm going to be working with, I like to give them some references and kind of give them my vision. But then I'm like, do whatever you want, dude. Like, I'm mm -hmm. not paying you to just do whatever I want. Like, I'm paying people because I want their expertise and their vision on it. Yeah, and, and you believe in their art. Learning how to trust that collaboration process is a huge part to kind of get the most when you're hiring somebody. And so for the new course, we ended up just landing on Producer Principles 101. And we did that because it's a very long form course. It's going to be Probably it's not done yet, but it'll be between probably 12 and 14 hours when it's all said and done. Mm -hmm. Tons of files, tons of content, like probably 70 to 80 videos. I thought 60 to 80. I think it, 60 it might to 70. be. It's going to be a lot. Yeah. And uh, we just decided, you know what? Producer Principles 101 nails it. It talks about all the principles of being a professional producer. We talk about handling contracts, handling invoices, handling the actual production. Like you get to see me produce something in full time. You get to see me mix something in, in real time. It was like hard to find that balance of, I don't want to name it just stuff on like production. I don't want to name it just stuff on music business. Mm -hmm. And somehow we landed on that. And then we came up with like a concept to give to Clay for the box design. But it's funny because like, neither of us are like branding specialists. No. 
You just kind of have to be though. Like I'm not going to hire a marketing firm anytime I think about releasing anything on our website. No. And we both can like, generally speaking, come up with things. Right. I think some of our boxes are really cute. I forgot how cute, I was just looking at a website, forgot how cute um, Disco Pop was. I love that one. That was one of the first ones that we like branched out from that style. I, I think, think actually Pop Progressions was might have been the first, but it was in that same, pa- I think re- they were all on the same release. Yes. Sounds of Life as well. You know what one took forever, you guys? Dark Pop Volume 2. That cover took us forever to decide what to do. And finally, I was like, why don't we just do a moon? Well, the other one was a moon. It was a neon moon. And then I was like, let's just do yeah. a moon in the new style. So we did. Yeah. And I still like that box. It's not my favorite, but. Yeah, it's simple. It was just like, because it's like it needs to connect to the other one, but it needs to be its own thing at the same time. So that was like, oh, you know what I really love, actually? I really love Sour Candy. Sour Candy was great, but I mean, that was literally just me kind that of like riffing off one. of Olivia Rodrigo's album because that's what the yeah, pack like was whole, inspired by. Yeah, and the whole like aesthetic of her album. Yeah, sticker, high school notebook kind of vibes. Yeah. Once we've branded the pack and we kind of know exactly what we need to be making, that's where we're going to come up with like the structure of the pack. So let's take Dark Pop Volume 2, for example. We'll have that meeting and we'll come up with a bunch of ideas and then we'll say Dark Pop Volume 2. People really like Dark Pop Volume 1. They want to see more of that. They really love your dark drum samples. That's what you're known for as a producer. Let's do that. Okay, we're going to brand it. Here are some similar artists where as we're going through and creating sounds, here are the kind of sounds that we need to be hitting the metrics that we need to be hitting it needs to sound like x it needs to sound like y and then what we do is we figure out how big is that pack going to be right is this going to be 100 samples is it going to be 500 samples and then within that how many of those should be kicks how many of those should be snares how many of those should be percussion hits and i try to go in as organized as possible because if i can have a checklist as we're kind of creating the pack that helps me structure out days where i can do sound design um it helps me structure out who we might need to hire to help us out with that pack. Mm -hmm. And it helps us come up with timelines and deadlines and things like that. Because making a a drum pack that's 100 sounds is a totally different beast than making one that's 500 sounds. Yeah. And are those 500 sounds all created from synthesis or are you taking vintage drum samples and doing processing on them? Are you recording a live drum? It really is all so different. And it's really important early in your process of making samples or presets to figure out what the pack is and what's going to come in that pack. Because if you can create towards a goal, I think the pack is going to be a lot more cohesive rather than just being like, all right, I kind of know the subgenre I want to make in. I'm just going to make as much shit as possible, throw it in a pack and then package it and call it done. Mm -hmm. So going into our sample packs and preset packs, we know exactly what's going to be in it by the end. We know exactly how many ARPs are going to be in a serum pack or how many leads are going to be in that pack. And uh, we do that specifically. So as we're going, we have a checklist because otherwise you're never going to get a pack fully done. And then even when you do think it's done, you're going to release it and you're going to be like, wait, I just realized that I didn't have any 808s in that pack because I just didn't naturally make any mm-hmm. and I didn't pay attention to them being in there. So that's one thing that if you're trying to get into making sample packs and preset packs, I would really advise towards is go into that pack knowing exactly what you need to make, have a checklist of all of these elements that you need to be, all of these elements, are you doing loops? Are you doing, does it come with any kind of courses or tutorials in it? Uh, What file format do all these need to be in? What's your naming structure going to be like? All of that should be set before you jump in and before you start doing any kind of sound design or any kind of branding or anything like that. Once we figured out how the pack is going to be branded, what that pack is, and then what elements are going to be within that pack, that kind of gives me and Miranda both a sense of how long is this going to take to do and that's when we'll start coming up with 
like deadlines and schedules and markers and checkpoints and goals. And Miranda kind of does this a lot more than me. She pays attention to this because I'm definitely a procrastinator. So I guess you can kind of tell them about what the process of light is like where we kind of determine what day it's going to come out. And then we have our checklist going up to that point. Like we're working on a course right now. Yeah. You want to go ahead and kind of let them know how far in advance we plan and, and what the steps in between are like? Typically like three to four months in advance, if not more. And usually we go with an end date and then work from there. So we'll pick which day we want to release something and then say, okay, well, we need to give it to our beta testers, need to be done testing it two weeks before it's coming out. And then that means that we need to get it to our beta testers and have them test it for at least a week, if not two, depending on the product. And then so then, you know, you just I mean, it's common sense. You just go back right. from, you know, from that date. And then you're like, OK, well, we need to have this marker done by this date and then this by this date. Yeah. And you just go from there and then you can schedule it week by week of like, OK, well, each week I want to try to get 100 samples done or something like that. And then right. you really just go from there. Or if we're hiring out, we'll hire people out and enough advance to where it gives them enough time to create whatever we are needing them to create. Right. And we'll, we'll have all of these goals and deadlines and checkpoints. So even if we are hiring somebody that will be in their contract of like, we're expecting first round of presets mm -hmm. by this date, uh, any revision presets by this date. And then we've never had an issue where we like didn't meet a deadline or we had to push anything back. No, typically we release a lot of stuff for our black Friday sales. So like we'll start our black Friday sale the Monday before Thanksgiving and black Friday. And so normally that's like, I don't know, like second or third week in November or whatever. Let's just mm -hmm. say like November 18th. So if we're, if we know that we're releasing something November 18th, we will want to make sure that we have that uploaded to our site. All of the final packaging, branding, copy, everything is done four or five days ahead of time just to make sure that nothing gets messed up. And then, you know, about a month before that comes out, that's when we're going to start sending it to beta testers so they can have a couple weeks. Plus that gives us time to fix any patches that might be broken, do mm -hmm. any extra manuals to help people with questions. And so a month out, beta testing started. A week out, we're uploading it to the website and making sure that everything's formatted and ready for delivery. And then, yeah, it's just a couple months before that of like, it takes a few weeks to plan something. It takes a few weeks to actually get it on my schedule. And then depending on what it is, you know, they can take quite a long time. Like we have Poptopia that's 300 or 350 serum presets. And I mean, one serum preset could take 20 or 30 minutes of just fiddling around and changing different parameters and tweaking things. So we try to give ourselves ample time and it's not just like a, I'm going to sit down, find 10 kick drums that I really, really like, adjust a couple things on them and then call that a pack. Yeah. Like, and we, we also give ourselves like wiggle room. So we always give ourselves like a week or two of time that's like, we know it's probably not going to take a week or two longer, but we give ourselves that time just because like shit happens. You never know. Like, we just had a hurricane that messed up our schedule for this course because right. we couldn't film obviously during a terrible storm. We had terrible weather for a few days um, before it and obviously during the hurricane. And then when it passed, we had to do other things. So like stuff like that, you never know what's going to happen. So you have to have that space in there to give yourself extra time in case shit happens shit comes up yeah i mean i think it's just really important too to like especially for something that potentially thousands of people could be downloading like we're not trying to phone anything in and no. to be honest we've had it happen before where we might have cut a corner by not sending it out to beta testers and then there were a couple patches messed up and now it's like awesome now i have to send a follow-up to 
300 people that bought that on the opening day mm-hmm. with a new patch. I have to send an explanation on why that didn't work. I have to tell them how that works. And it's like the more pre-planning and the more formatted and the more uh, like foolproof you can have it before it goes out to whoever's going to be using it, I find the better. So if you are working on sample packs or preset packs, just give yourself extra time. Like it's good to set deadlines. So then you have things to achieve and to accomplish. Otherwise you'll never get anything out. But with that said, once you have your deadlines, give yourself an extra week or two, again, for wiggle room. You know, maybe you get sick, maybe there's a hurricane, maybe your computer crashes, maybe you lose a couple samples, maybe you send them out to beta testers and it's just not quite there. It's really important to have a little bit of a cushion, especially if nobody knows what's happening behind the scenes until you announce it. Once we come up with all those schedules and deadlines and goals, that's where we'll figure out what task we need to divide. So we used to not do this too, too much, like our first probably 15, 20 packs. I think I did all of the sound design myself on. Mm -hmm. Um, Any that didn't carry over from Woodshop Audio, which is like a whole different story. But any of the ones that I had created, I had done all the samples, all the presets, everything myself. And um, I even did like the box design on a lot of those and stuff like that. And then it just got to the point where I was just like, I don't know how many more kick drums I can make. You know, like... I can't just keep making the same serum presets and tweaking a couple things. So we have started hiring um, extra help with like sound design and stuff like that. And I feel like it's really helped our packs out and it's helped us kind of maintain a little bit of consistency. So like with uh, like Spectrum and Poptopia and our MIDI packs and the Anderson pack and Sour Candy, we had teams for all of those. And so typically after we figure out what's going to be in the pack, that's where we'll come up with how many people do we need to hire? Who are we hiring for what? What kind of budget do we need to hire X, Y, Z? So I can just go ahead. I'll use the Anderson pack as an example because that one had a a pretty small team, but it was significant and it took a big budget to make. Mm -hmm. So for the Anderson pack, right, that is a drum library that relies on live recorded drums. So we had to hire a drummer who could record his drums um, mix those samples and then export them all. And we hired Tomas Shannon. He did an amazing job. He did Sour Candy and the Anderson Pack. And so we had to hire him to actually do the sample work. And then we had to hire uh, somebody to code a contact instrument. And so we hired uh, Moises Diabello. He did a great, great job with, again, the Sour Candy and the Anderson Pack contact interface. And then I had to do the graphics for the box and the contact design on both of those packs. And then on top of that, we also have them formatted for Logic, for Ableton, um, for Trigger, and for Cubase. I did the Cubase instrument. We hired somebody to do the Logic instrument. We hired somebody to do the Ableton instruments. And we hired somebody to do the Trigger TCI files. On top of all of that, we also had to hire people to help make any instructional videos because I'm not a Mac user And I don't have several of those DAWs. So we had to hire people to make install videos for those. And so one pack that might be two drum kits ends up being 600 samples that Tomas touched and I recorded a bunch of stuff for those packs and did some extra mixing and stuff like that. And then on top of that, it has to all get coded. It has to all get designed. It has to all be organized. And then once that's done, we send that out to anywhere between 10 and 20 beta testers on different DAWs using different versions of contacts and et cetera. So each of those packs ended up having a team of 20, 30 people on them. And each of those people have to get paid. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, I, I'll just pull the curtain back. A pack like that could end up costing anywhere between like 
eight and $10,000 to make because everybody has to get paid. And I want to make sure that people are compensated fairly. Like we don't, we're not huge on like negotiating people's rates down. If we can't afford a sound designer, we've had it happen where I'm just like, thank you. That's a little bit out of our budget for this pack. We'll keep you on our list. And we have a running list of sound designers and sample makers who I have a list of who they are, what genres and styles they work in, what their budget ranges are, typically how many they want to do. And so like for another example, would it be Poptopia? Poptopia ended up being 350 serum presets. And I think we hired eight different sound designers. Some people did 50 presets, some people did 70, and I think I did a hundred. So it ended up being a lot. And not every preset that gets made ends up being used. Like we'll talk about that when we get to quality control in a minute. But that was eight people that got paid. Plus we hired somebody to do the box design on that. Clay Agnew did the box on that. And so again, we're talking at the end of the project, over 10 people have to get paid. And this is with me and Miranda doing a lot of it ourselves, right? Like mm -hmm. a lot of the time we do do a lot of the graphics or we do a lot of the promotional materials that's and actually marketing. The, oh, that's the only box that we did not do the graphics for. Right. So far, there's so far, some yeah. more stuff coming. Our early sample packs were very DIY and mm -hmm. they might not have cost a lot of money to make, but they took a lot of time because I had to make every single element myself. Yeah. And then we had to do everything where now we can afford to invest in the packs a little bit more because we have a little bit of that upfront capital. And I feel like at this stage, we're getting better packs because we're collaborating with really good people in the industry. But that might be why some of your favorite sample companies are making all of these insane samples that you're like, how are they doing that? I make my own samples. And even if I make a good sample, I'm not making 200 of them. They might've had a hundred different sound designers work on that pack. Mm -hmm. Most sample companies don't give all of their sound designers credit unless it's in that contract. Yeah, It's almost always just work for hire anyway. And so we do work for hire with our sound designers, but I do my best in every single thing that we have that's created by somebody else in the manual to put exactly who did what. If you buy any of our packs and you can, you can see who made those. You can see where they were recorded, how they were made. And that's something that I feel like a lot of people are not super upfront with, but it's really important because I don't want people to have this assumption that I made 300 or 400 presets for Poptopia all myself. Right. Like that just wasn't the case. And that's not really our goal moving forward. But there's a lot that goes into making these that like a lot of people don't realize and anticipate. Mm -hmm. And even I forget, like, I'm like, oh yeah, geez. That was a lot. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> like that's why talking about like writing it down or like draw, I guess like drawing it out on paper like that. You're like, oh yeah, wow. Well, and it completely shifts the focus because I used to have to, you know, make all these samples and stuff like that. But then I didn't have to spend any time communicating with people or checking their stuff or right. formatting it or whatever. And so like, it's been one of those things where sometimes it feels weird to have a pack like Sour Candy that was recorded by Tomas and uh, coded by Moises and by a bunch of people. And I'm like, how, is this my pack? And then I realized like, I'm the one that we're the, we're the ones that have the company at the end of the day. I'm the one that's got to still do quality control on everything. I've got to make everything work. I've got to make it all cohesive and I've got to figure out what people want and figure out how to get that to them. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how the shift happens of somebody being a sample creator versus becoming a, like a sample or a sound company. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just two different ball fields where now, even if I only do a hundred of the presets in a pack, I'll spend weeks just talking to people, sending contracts, sending invoices, checking presets that they send, sending feedback, formatting them. It's like, it's a lot of stuff that people don't realize. It's not just, I made a couple cool presets, saved them to a folder, and then I let people buy them for $30. Right. I'd love to go over like my process of making samples and, and presets. And I know this is what a lot of people will probably listen for. So let's just dive in. We've made a couple sample packs together where you were very involved in it. 
Mm-hmm. I've made several sample packs that you weren't involved in the sound design, but you've been involved in all the, the marketing and release and everything. There, samples is funny because like there's a bunch of ways that you can do it, right? And there's a bunch of very legal ways to do it. And it's some not so legal ways that a lot of companies will do anyway. And so I'll go over the ways that we typically will work when I'm making, let's just say something like a kick sample. Typically, I know exactly what I'm making for the pack because as we've talked about earlier, we're very structured once we get to the sound design process. Like I know, okay, for this, I have to make 20 kicks. And within that, I want some kicks that sound like this, some kicks that sound like this, some kicks that sound like this. So what I'll do is I'll schedule out time in my calendar and then I'll go and I'll say, all right, let's start with this batch of kicks. And typically I'll start in something like uh, serum or any kind of other synthesizer and I will like synthesize my kicks first and I'll get some low end, I'll get some click, I'll get some punch and I'll kind of get the basis for that kick. So it'll have the sustain of that kick. It'll be tuned to the note of whatever that kick is going to be. And then what I'll do is I'll start finding extra little accents and layers. So I'll find uh, different samples or I'll record different things that I can layer on top of that to give it some transient and some click. I will start mixing it, adding a little bit of saturation, a little bit of room. Maybe sometimes I'll find um, other like royalty-free sounds or examples and blend those in to kind of give me a little bit extra texture and dimension. One thing I'm never doing though is I'm not ever taking any samples from other people's packs and working off of those. So I'm not taking examples from Splice or any of the other sample packs I buy and just reformatting those into my sample. Yeah, that seems weird. It it does, but I swear to God, 99% of all of the splice packs are the same trap samples over and over and over and over. Allegedly. No, I I promise you they are. You can't say that though. I guarantee you, I've done it. Legally though? (laughs) Maybe not 99%, but there's a good big majority. But we legally are going to say allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) Splice is a big company. Let's not, let's not fuck with them. Maybe. Well, it's not Splice's fault. It's the individual creator's fault. Oh, I see what you're saying. And so like it runs really, really rampant in the hip hop and in the electronic market where there have been a couple older sample makers that have made really, really good stuff. And you might hear the same trap snare in literally 40 different packs. And it's not just on Splice. Like there's other people selling individual packs. And so I feel like a lot of people have this misconception of like, why should I buy this sample pack? It's probably just samples from X, Y, and Z all combined together or slightly manipulated. And so for our packs, a reason that they might not be as big as some others or a reason that we might not release them so often is because a lot of our stuff is made from scratch. So we're synthesizing it with synthesizers on the computer. We're recording real live layers that I can layer in. And then on top of that, they're getting mixed and then they get mixed again. And then I will see how they actually work inside uh, production where there's other things happening. It's not just that I'm making samples that sound good and solo. I'm trying to make samples that will fit instantly in a mix, but still have enough headroom and flexibility where you can still EQ them or compress them or do whatever you need to do so they can sit into your mix. And that's been one of the things I've tried to pride make pop music on as sample and preset makers is finding that balance of giving people something that has our sauce kind of baked into it, but it's also not going to pigeonhole them, right? Because I have Mm -hmm. a lot of samples that off the gate, they sound amazing. I can drag them in and really early in the creation process, those drums sound amazing. But as I start adding a million other layers and stuff, they just don't really fit. Yeah, not functional. Right, it's hard to manipulate them. If you take the mids out, it messes up with the whole phase alignment of the whole sample because they're just things that are not right or overbaked or or just not right for my session. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that like when we're creating a sample or a preset, we try to make sure is that I like to build them from the ground up so I can make sure that people have the the foundation 
to do whatever they want to with that sample. So, you know, in Dark Pop Volume 2, there might be 10 different trap kicks, but each one of those I made individually, specifically for a purpose, and it was checked within a mix, and they all hit. And, like, that's one thing that a lot of the sample packs I get, I just feel like are not doing that. They're either a bunch of copy and paste things that I've seen before, or they are underbaked, and I have to do a ton of work to them, or they're overbaked, and they don't really fit in anything that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, just something to keep in mind if you're trying to create samples is... Yeah, you want your sauce in there because that's why people buy them, but you don't want to, to to pigeonhole them. I think that's the worst thing you could do. So that's typically how I make a sample is synthesize it in some way to get that kind of foundation really, really strong, add in extra layers that I record or that I manipulate or that I will tweak. And so one kick sample, you know, might have ended up being seven different layers and mixed three times. But that's why it sounds like that. That's why it doesn't just sound like serum going doof, doof you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a weird process, but maybe one day I'll do a tutorial on it. If anybody wants to see us do a tutorial where I like make a kick sample from scratch, let us know. Yeah. On Instagram or YouTube comment or something. Right. And so it's the same with kicks, snares, toms, hi-hats, all that kind of stuff. A lot of that is just manipulation from synthesis with layering. And then we've done several sample packs that we've actually like recorded stuff live so again anderson pack and sour candy are both live drum kits that tomas recorded tracked and mixed but then we also have foley fix and we have sounds of life that me and miranda recorded all of yes that was actually really fun (laughs) yeah those are some of my favorites they're honestly the ones that i use the most to this day and uh with the branding for those was like i do a lot of like found sound and foley usage in my productions for ear candy. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of taking organically recorded things and manipulating the hell out of them and turning them into something really cool and weird. Mm-hmm. And so we had the idea for foley fix. So we bought like a little zoom recorder and we went around and we just recorded a bunch of different things. Literally just like banging around shit in our, in our apartment at that time. Yeah. Smashing glasses, <laughs> yeah. shaking pill bottles, like literally anything. You should have seen us like for weeks, like leading up to this pack. We're just like going around the house, like, touching everything messing with everything like oh yeah that makes a cool sound walking around target just recording crowd noise yeah or like trying to even like buying stuff that you're like oh this would be cool this would make a cool sound it's like shit like that so those packs those were really fun those were some of the most fun to make because they were just like really weird and experimental and i think they're still some of people's favorites that did take you forever though yeah like for sounds of life we worked on sounds of life for about four months because we had to we ended up recording like over a thousand things. But then within that pack, I wanted to make sure that I'm not just giving people, you know, a bird call or right. a traffic like noise or yeah. a blinker. We ended up also doing folders where it were it was sounds from that pack that we had kind of really heavily processed. So we did a folder where we had made like risers out of them, hits out of them, atmospheric noises out of them. And then the loops folder is like one of the coolest things we've ever done. It's the thing that I hear the most in productions from our stuff. It's what I use the most out of our stuff. And that was where I took a bunch of those different sounds that we recorded organically, processed the absolute piss out of them, and then made cool little loops along like five different tempos. Mm -hmm. And so the sample creation process doesn't have to be really rigorous and formulaic and electronic like you can create samples out of anything you know like I've seen sample packs where some of the stuff was recorded on an iPhone and it sounds cool because they put their own signature taste on it with processing and with how they formatted it and uh, if you're thinking about creating samples try to find that blend of processing things synthetically and using organic elements because those organic elements are going to be where 
you know, maybe the other 44 sample packs that might be in a similar genre, they're not going to have what you have because they didn't record that themselves. A lot of people can synthesize a kick drum or can take something like kick two and they can make a really cool EDM kick or they can take something like serum and make a cool metallic, you know, future based snare, but they're not going to get that layer where you add it in slapping your keys down on a table as a transient or uh 14 of your friends clapping at a party that you've layered over like those are the things that make your packs special mm-hmm. they're what make our packs special i think and and it's something that i feel like is lacking from a lot of people that's kind of our process with making drum samples uh presets is like a whole different beast when we make a preset typically i'll be like all right today i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna make 15 leads i'll have songs that i want to kind of use as references. I'll go to that song. I'll hear the lead at 50 seconds in and I'll say, all right, I'm going to create that as close as possible. And then once I've created that as close as possible, then I'll put my own signature flair on it. So I'll add extra filters. I'll change parameters. And that to me is really cool because that's giving people familiar sounds that have kind of been elevated to the next level. And then we'll kind of set up all of our different parameters and macros that people can automate. So one preset in Serum could legitimately I don't know, take 20 minutes of me messing with oscillators, messing with different macros, messing with different automation, adjusting how LFOs hit. And then I might say four different versions of a sounder of a preset. I might have one with a shorter attack. I might have one with a longer release. I might have one where I saturated it more. And I'm going to try all of those in a real life instance. I'm going to see how they layer with other sounds. I'm going to see how they sit in a mix with no extra processing. And then that's where I'll pick my favorite one. And, uh, a lot of it is just, yeah, again, like scratch synthesis. Like with those, I'll try to still layer in sounds in our like noises folder of Serum or an Anna 2 or something like that because that gives it just a little bit of extra character and texture. But creating presets is something of like, you just have to learn synthesis and sound design from the ground up and then you have to be cool with kind of breaking some of the rules that you've found. And so if we're working on a drum pack or a preset pack, let's say if our drum pack is 100 samples, that doesn't mean that I made 100 samples of that for that pack. I probably made 150 or 200 samples for that pack, but some of them didn't fit. Some of them weren't mixed as well as they needed to be. Some of them were just kind of out in left field and might fit better in another pack, so I'll save those for later. And we'll kind of narrow down everything. Like, I don't put everything that I make for a pack within that pack because I'm only giving people the best of the best of what gets created. Mm -hmm. And we, even with people that we hire, you know, if I hire somebody to do 50 samples, I'm still going to pay them or 50 presets. I'm still going to pay them for doing those. But if there's only 40 that fit, I'm only going to use 40. Yeah. And I'm not going to give them revisions or make them do new ones just because they don't fit my exact vision. They still did their job. They made a really good preset. It's just not what we're looking for for this pack. So maybe I'll save it for later or maybe I'll go in and I'll look at it and I'll completely like rearrange things and finesse them and I'll kind of do my own preset based off of that. But it really is just a bunch of trial and error and taking weeks and weeks and weeks of being in the studio and saying, this synth sound sounds cool. This synth sound is shitty. Uh, this one is cool, but could use a little bit more work to get to the pack. And then it's really just about organizing them into the folders and into the structures of how we want the users to find them. So how are we grouping things? Are they grouped by element? So kick folder, snare folder, hi-hat folder, loop folder. Um, with sense, what's a bass versus what's a pad? What's a lead versus a pluck? Just stupid little naming convention, things like that. So people can easily navigate it because that's, to me, one of the, another big thing when I buy like a whole sample pack, if it's not organized, I'm almost never going to use it because yeah. I don't want to sit there and be flipping through a bunch of folders where I'm like, oh shit, I can't find that kick drum yeah. because there's seven different folders for kicks. I don't know if they put this in trappy kick or soft kick. 
just label it that all within one kick folder. It's so much easier. Yeah. Once we have kind of formatted everything and we've gotten all of our samples or presets or files or loops or whatever is going to be going into that pack, that's where we'll do our quality test and our beta test where I've kind of talked a little bit about this. I like to check things in real mixes, like in real life scenarios that I would use a preset. So I'll, I'll pull them up. I'll use them in a session. We'll send them out to 10, 15, 20 beta testers for two weeks or a month. And I tell people like, is this something, do you like how it sounds when you first pull it up? And do you like how it sounds when you put it in the context of other things? Because both of those are important. You need it to have that wow factor right off the bat, or people are not going to consider it a good pack or preset or whatever to even try. Mm -hmm. But with that said, if it doesn't work in the mix, they're not going to keep going back to that, which is not going to get them to buy our other stuff. Mm -hmm. And so when we're doing our beta testing and our quality testing, we're asking our beta testers a couple different things. And I ask myself this as well. How easy is the pack to download and to install and to navigate? How easy is it to understand what the pack is going for in terms of sound or style or branding or um, like division between presets, samples, loops, et cetera? Like, are you getting what you're expecting? And then within that, how does, how does everything feel upon first listen of just browsing the pack? And then even further, how does it actually work within your workflow? Can you see yourself going to this? Does anything in it need more mixing, less mixing? Is it sounding good right off the bat? Do you like that it's a little bit under-processed or do you want it to be a little bit more kind of baked up? These are things that I want our beta testers to answer. And then on top of obviously tech stuff like, oh, this preset didn't install right. This one has a broken link. This kick drum missed clipping a little bit. Things like that we obviously need to check. But on top of that, it's more so about like user experience. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's something that a lot of brands probably skip over because they don't want to give their pack to people for free or because they might not feel confident giving people versions that are not final. But I think our stuff has gotten dramatically better since we started implementing beta testing. Mm -hmm, definitely. And we've definitely narrowed down the customer service emails that we get once a pack is out. Yeah. So it's one of those things of, again, like you just buy yourself the time for that because that will take a few weeks yeah. of going back and forth with beta testers. Keep a spreadsheet. Like we have a spreadsheet of anybody who worked on the pack when they got paid, when they submitted their files, when they got their contract. And then we have our spreadsheet of beta testers. Okay, Ryan is beta testing Poptopia. He got the pack on this day. I'm going to ask for feedback or revisions or tweaks on this day. They'll get the updated version on this day. Mm -hmm. It's really just like, trying to run as efficiently as possible. I feel like a lot of people might see sample pack companies and just assume like, yeah, they just sit around and they make a bunch of cool sounds whenever they have time and then they try to organize those into cohesive folders and then they release them. Maybe some do. We definitely don't. Most of my peers that I know that are making top level packs don't work like that either. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of why we wanted to do this podcast is just break down a little bit of that mystery of like how known is the pack going in, how organized is it, and then what's the process like going through it. Yeah. And that's pretty much how we get a pack that is how you, the customer, or you, the listener, will see it and hear it. And then once we've done that, that's where we go on to the more kind of auxiliary stuff that, once again, takes just as much time as making a kick sample is things like doing the visuals. Like, I have to either design the box or we have to hire somebody to design a box. But if we hire... Like if we hire Clay, we have to tell him what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Plus we have to give him revisions. We have to give him feedback. And then on top of that, you also have to do your, like we have instruction manuals for most of our packs. We have instructional videos to show how to install, how to utilize the pack, how to tweak things. And then even further than that, then we have like release day content where we have to do some kind of like ad. We have to do a walkthrough for the YouTube channel. We have to have product demos. Like every single pack has to get multiple product demos. So if we're releasing two packs on Black Friday, 
that's not only a thousand files that we had to make, we had to make also all of the product manuals, all of the videos showing the pack. We have to answer all of the emails with questions about the pack. We have to make the demos for the packs. There's a lot of stuff that goes in where if you buy a sample pack for 30 bucks, you might think that you're only paying for the samples, but you're also paying for all of the things that kind of go in to make that sample pack happen because without them, you would never know about them and you'd never be able to even find them to use within your production. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge, like... When we expanded to having a team for our sample packs, I thought my job was going to get a lot easier not having to make the samples, but it takes me longer to like facilitate everything if I'm honest, because then you become... Yeah, but it's not even necessarily always the time. It's more like one person can only come up with so many kick drums, you know? Right. Well, that was why I wanted to do it. It was never like, I don't have time to do packs. I'm just going to pawn this off. It was like, we're to a point where we have a community that's also making amazing things. And if I can get somebody a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand bucks to help us out with a pack, they can make some money. They can get some of their stuff within our packs. Mm -hmm. We have good packs at the end of the day. Like that's really what it's all about for me. I don't want to just sit here until I'm 50 years old, just making kick drums and snare drums and synth presets over and over and over. I want to be able to become like an outlet. And at the end of the day, I still want to make pop music's name on them. And I still want my love and my sound and my care and attention baked into those. But I don't want it to necessarily just be, oh, cool. It's brain. another 200 dark pop drum samples from Austin. Yeah. Like, like it's boring. Yeah. And one person can only do so much. Plus you like, we normally, when we hire people from packs too, they all work in different genres than you right. normally. So then it's different sounds throughout the whole pack. So you're not just getting awesome sound you're getting all these different people's perspectives and sounds which is really cool yeah absolutely opinion. you're getting steve sound and ash's sound and mm -hmm. you know and literally mm -hmm. yeah everybody mm -hmm. and that's been really important so that's kind of our process of making the sample pack getting that ready to actually release and distribute making sure that it's all going to go smoothly once it's out we have to figure out how to set a price for it all of that kind of stuff and then once we have the sample pack and it's ready to release that's where we go to uploading and distributing that pack. This is the easiest part for sure. Once we have a pack, I basically will get that down into a, a zip file that's not huge and going to be horrible for people to install. And then we just use Wix for our website and um, we just put everything up as like digital products. So if you go buy Poptopia, what's going to happen is you check out, you get your Poptopia. We upload everything to the website on a product page. So we've got the product box. We've got our description that Miranda will help revise and format and everything like that. Make sure it looks all good. After that, Wix kind of does the rest, if I'm honest. Like, mm -hmm. all you have to do is you have to put whatever it's going to link to once people finish their checkout. So with our sample packs and preset packs, we will do zip files. And they're just hosted right on Wix. So as soon as you buy Dark Pop Volume 2 or spectrum or whatever uh as soon as you check out because you've purchased it it's going to say thank you for purchasing xyz here's your download link it's also going to email them that download link as well and that's really as simple as it is as selling and distributing uh sample packs some of our packs are too big to host specifically on wix mm -hmm. so like the anderson pack or sour candy or courses or something like that those are multiple gigabytes because they have vst instruments they have extra presets yada 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 and so for those, what they'll get is instead they'll get like a PDF that's got a personalized download code and a password to unlock their content. And that's all just kind of automatically created as well. And that just gets sent to their email. So instead of it being a zip file, they have to go to this PDF where they can find the host for them to get that download because it's, it's over a couple gigabytes big. And then they can just download it from there. They've got all the access information. But that's all pretty easy. It's all pretty automated. Wix 
Squarespace, all of those are going to do a pretty good job of selling uh, digital products. The good thing about selling digital products is like, other than the overhead of actually making the pack, there's no cost of good. You know, like we have mm-hmm. friends that own clothing companies and yeah, they might sell a t-shirt for 25 or $30, but that t-shirt also took, you know, money to get designed. It takes money to get printed over and over and over again. So they're never making pure profit. And it's like, a physical product that you actually have to like ship out yourself. Right. And they have to have a warehouse to keep them all yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's so much more. It's so difficult. With a sample pack, even if we spend $8,000 making a sample pack, once we've spent that and made the pack, that's it. Once we make that back, everything past that is 100% profit. Right. And sometimes it happens quicker than others. And some packs are going to make more than others. But we don't have that constant recurring fee other than something like a website domain and and just like the yeah. typical things that you're going to have as a business. But I mean, we're talking maybe a couple hundred bucks a month versus $15,000 a month to run a normal business. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. And so keep that in mind too, if you've ever thought about making presets or samples or courses is like, it can be an initial investment, but once it's out, you could sell 30 of your sample pack and you could make a couple hundred bucks or you could sell 30,000 of your sample pack and make a million dollars. And at the end of the day, it's really not any different as the amount of work that you're going to put in. You might have a couple extra support emails to handle and there might be a little bit more pressure if you're doing 30,000 copies of something over 30, but it's not exponential cost of good like running a physical business is. And that's one thing that's like really helped us out. And that's one reason that we've been able to, you know, be successful is make pop music is like we try to keep our overhead as low as possible. Now we have the, the capital to pay people to help out and that's all great and good. But other than that, there's not a lot of like continual costs that just beat us down every single month where it's like, okay, now we have to make $10,000 to break even. Mm -hmm. It's just get it out. Once it's out, let it go. Outside of that, I think the last thing that we should probably talk about is like how we promote our packs and actually get people to download them. This is probably a lot more boring than people are expecting, but like we don't do a lot of promotion. We're not, we don't constantly post on our social medias about our paid stuff. We don't run ads, honestly, probably to a fault. Like we could probably run better numbers if we would run some ads or we'd be a little bit more consistent about promoting our stuff, but it's all pretty passive for us. So we don't like to pressure people too much. I feel really confident with the things that we've made Mm -hmm. and we've had amazing feedback, like 99.9% customer satisfaction. We'll have like one return out of a thousand orders. Mm -hmm. I think that the reason for that is we kind of promote everything very passively. And we talked a little bit about this on how to get paying clients, the episode that we did for that, where we talk about the more you can kind of show your skills or you can show yourself off, the easier it is for people to trust you and to invest in you. And it's the same thing with our sample packs. We get most of our sample sales and preset sales and core sales all just from people seeing the YouTube videos. Like we do weekly content on there and they think, hey, this content is so good. It's free. They've done free uh, presets and and samples and things like that. If the free stuff is this good, I can only imagine how good the paid stuff is. Mm -hmm. Or they think they've given me so much stuff for free. I want to support them and help out by picking something up. Or honestly, people too see you use it in the video and they're like, oh yeah, that is like actually really functional or actually sounds really cool in there. Like maybe I'll go pick that pack up or something like that. that, Yeah, that was going to be my last point. And that's one of the things is like, if you see me using our, our packs or our presets or something in a make pop music video, it's not because I'm trying to promote that. It's just because that's legitimately what I used in that situation. Well, again, that's like why you that's why this whole thing started right like I have no problem in a video if I'm using a a Oliver sample that I got from Splice just being like oh yeah this is just the Oliver kick from Splice like I'm not Mm -hmm. gonna 
I'm not going to go into a session that I naturally use something and swap it out for a make prop music product just so no. I can promote that in a video. It's not that in depth. I don't care that much. Neither of us care that much. Yeah, it's not it's that like, serious. <laughs> I want to show people our tools being used legitimately, how I like to use them and how other people like to use them. And that really is how we promote our stuff is just through passive utilization of being like, oh yeah, here's how to make a song like Charlie Puth. And then within that video, I just so happened to use Poptopia 11 times yeah. because there's 11 good presets in there that fit that sound in that genre and it was easy for me to use. Mm -hmm. We don't really like pre-plan any of our content to promote anything. The biggest thing we do is in our emails, there's like a section at the bottom that's like, hey, if you like this video, check out these products because they're in a similar vein. That's about as markety yeah. and promoting as we do. And then sometimes we forget to even switch those out. So yeah, like... I think they've probably been Poptopia and Dark Pop Volume 2. Yeah, those are two very popular packs. So. Yeah. <laughs> and that is how we prefer to promote. I know a lot of people who run ads and they do very, very well off of that. That's like a whole nother business model. Maybe we'll have somebody else talk about that. Mm -hmm. But that's that's kind of our process. It's a lot more planning and a lot more rigorous than people might anticipate, but it's a lot less methodical in terms of like rollout and marketing than people yeah. probably anticipate. Yeah, the most methodical part is us planning it. <laughs> right. And again, that's all based on what people want. It's, yeah. We're not yeah, sitting that's there. True. It's not really methodical, I guess. Right. Meticulous. Me and Miranda are not sitting there like, oh, this is the biggest pack. Uh, you know, this is the number one pack on Splice. And if we can make that with this, then we're going to get X amount of downloads. Yeah, never. Well, also too, like some, cause there are things that are very popular and we're like, oh, we could do that, but it doesn't really seem like it fits our brand very much. Or like, I don't know, so-and-so has already done that and they've done it really well. Like what's the, I don't feel like I have anything to add to that situation. So it's like, we're never doing anything with like the intent of a dollar sign at the obviously you hope that when you're a business like I'm not gonna sit here and lie to you and be like no we just create it to make something like no obviously we hope things are successful yeah if we spend three months making a pack and i only sell a hundred of them i'm gonna be pissed <laughs> yeah like i'm but gonna like, be a little sad but never in the it's never starting out from a place of this will make us money it's always starting out from a place of what we want to create what we think needs to be created this will of. help the most people this will be the most useful for yeah. me and for my peers yes and then, oh, look, hey, let's hope this does well now because now we've poured all this money into it is more of how it goes. Hopefully this was interesting <laughs> to anybody wanting to know how we make our samples and presets. I'm sure some people listening will be like, these people have no idea what the fuck they're doing. They just do it. Yeah. It's, and that's kind of true. kind of true. That's kind of true. But at the same time, the I hope some it. people will listen to this and be like, oh, it's not just them throwing a bunch of shit in a pack and just selling it and calling it a good, like, There's a we take a lot of it. pride and anything that we release that's paid content, because we do so much free content, we totally understand that when people are paying for it, we need to step it up a notch. Yeah. And we take it very seriously. When and with that said... We don't want to take, like, every dollar that anyone spends on our website is, like, very... It's taken very seriously and it's very appreciated. Right. So we never want to deliver anything half-assed. And with that said, like we understand that sometimes our packs are not for everybody. Like yeah. maybe somebody expected something different or maybe it just doesn't work in their instance. And like we try to be pretty good about meeting people halfway and being like, okay, uh, if you didn't like it, just let us know. Like we'll figure out how to handle it. Um, we we will offer refunds if they didn't like it. We will offer to add on another pack if they were expecting something a little bit different. And we have a pack that might help them out more. We swap stuff all the time. And so like for us, it's not, like we take business seriously because it pays for our living. Like this is our job at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we're not like sharks, you know, we're not like if you bought it, it's a digital download. So you're never going to get a refund because right. you can never give it back. Which it's a like, lot of companies do do. 
And that's totally fair. I get fine. it. But at the same time, I want somebody to like and enjoy my pack more than I need their $30. Yeah. And I feel like also that maybe I'm like reaching here, but I feel like that makes people bitter when they get a pack and they're like, oh, this is not what I thought. And they're like, oh, cool. All sales final. Like, fuck me. That sucks. I just lost 30 bucks. Not then, just that. And then you don't want to buy from that company again. Well, you're not like, just that, but a lot of people too will be hesitant to buy it like $30 is a lot of money to some oh, people yeah. and they're gonna be like well if I have no chance of getting a refund like oh, I've like never that. bought anything from this company why why would I buy that yeah exactly I think all sales finals a little, a little so intense. I mean out of like 40,000 purchases we've maybe had I don't know 30 returns it's like yeah it's gonna happen you know you, nobody bats yeah, a thousand like, percent sometimes are those people probably doing it because they just want their money and they might still use some of the products sure but like what are you gonna do yeah, like that's that's their conscious. If you're scamming me off for that. that, that says more about you than me. And yeah, like whatever. I'll, I can sleep at night losing the thirty dollars. It's fine. Yeah, I don't want to like you're the one that has to live with the fact that you stole from a small business, pretty much. Which I don't think that really happens. I'm sure it has, but but like you said, on the flip side, we've had people that have asked for a refund because a pack didn't really suit their needs, mm-hmm. and then they've bought a different pack and they loved it, and then they yeah. bought two more packs. It's exactly. Like, I don't take it personally anymore. No. I feel very good about what we do, and if somebody doesn't like it or it doesn't work for them, like that's fine. Yeah. You know, like I want our stuff to work for everybody, but not every song that comes out I enjoy. Not every movie that comes out I enjoy. Not every T-shirt that I buy fits well. It's like right. that's life. Yeah, it's you nothing know? personal. With that said, if you're listening to this. Please don't ask for a refund unless you legitimately don't like something. <laughs> I know, right? We we well, do again. This is our job. We do have a house to pay for, and it's there's a time period. It's not indefinite. Yeah, yeah. You get 14 days. If you don't try it within 14 days, like that's on you. That's not on me, brother. <laughs> but with that said, that's kind of our mindset to making sample packs, preset packs. We'll talk a little bit more about the creation of our course when that comes out. But we're still working on that, so I'm sure there will be a podcast episode on that in November or December because. This thing is a freaking if monster. You, yeah, if you guys want. Are they guys interested in that? I don't know. Mm. No, they're just going to be like, that's a way for him to promote his course for an hour and a <laughs> half. <laughs> but, Wait, oh, that's been an hour and a half. No, this is fun to talk about, though. I hope that a lot of people get uh, some insight from this. I feel like I like when people make sample packs and preset packs. If I see anybody in our community do it, I do my best to buy them and check them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had a lot of people that have done that and then... I've bought all their stuff and then hired them to help us out with NPM stuff. So that's true. if you make sample packs or preset packs, let me know and I can check those out. And then other than that, that's pretty much it. Like if anybody wants to go into more detail or see how I make a sample or a preset, let us know. We can do that kind of stuff on YouTube in real time. But other than that, we're about to dip out. Uh, we are going to do a recommendation of the day. Miranda, do you have your recommendation? Yes. My recommendation is going to be the new song from Joan that just came out called Don't Want to Be Your Friend. So good. Austin also did a little bit of the production. Did a little bit. Um, So I'm a little biased, but you guys know we love Joan. They're amazing. The song is so incredibly catchy. It's going to be stuck in your head for days. Go listen to it. Please, please. It's so good. I love that song so much. I'm so glad it's out because I was just listening to the Dropbox link I know. over and over and over. And it gets stuck in my head and then I'm pissed because I can't listen to it. So now I can finally listen to Go it. Go show Joan some love. They were our first guest ever on the podcast. I love those guys so much. And they're so incredible. They make kind. some of the best pop music ever. They really so do. Their go, songs- yeah, go listen to that for sure. Go show them rat? some love. Go let them know that we sent you. Uh, let's do my recommendation for the day. All right. My recommendation for the day is going to be for any wine lovers that are listening to this. Oh, To anybody who doesn't like wine or anybody who might be sober, I apologize for this. But if you do like wine, uh, go to a local wine shop, not like a a liquor store, not a Publix, not a Total Wine. Go to a local wine shop and ask if they have Lambrusco. 
Lambrusco is fire. It's a red wine. It's typically carbonated. Um, kind of has like the texture of like, it's not as carbonated as champagne. No, not nearly as carbonated. It's not super, super sweet, but it's also not very like bitter and full bodied. We both will run through a Lambrusco. Um, yeah, it's the best wine I'm telling you guys. Also, if you guys live in Orlando and you're like, where can I get a Lambrusco? Golden Hour Wine in Baldwin Park. Mm-hmm. The best wine shop. It's run by this woman named Heather. She's an angel and she will show you all the Lambruscos and they're amazing. <laughs> I love Golden Hour so much. So That should have been your <laughs> Yeah, if you're in Central Florida in general or if you're in any part of Florida and you ever find yourself around Orlando, take a trip up to Baldwin Park. It's a really cute area. It's super cute. Golden yeah. Hour is like the best wine shop ever. It's all organic, biodynamic, all vegan. A lot of them are like woman-owned. They're mm-hmm. all small. This was a wine shop that like, I swear to God, they'll have half the bottles in there. She'll be like, oh, we're the only wine shop in Florida who carries this. Oh, yeah. Because she has like one-on-one relationships with the distributors and with the wine companies. So with that said, I don't want to go off on like a whole wine tangent. (laughs) We will. (laughs) Yeah, we will. We can have a whole podcast for that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, go to a local wine shop, specifically uh, Golden Hour if you're in Orlando, and see if they have a Lambrusco and try it. I promise you, you will not regret it. They're so, so, so fire. But now I want wine. I know, me too. But we got a basketball. We're going to a basketball game tonight. So beard is. Yeah. Also, a uh, pro recommendation, or I guess my rec of the podcast is, uh, I recommend that the Magic get a new creative designer because our jerseys are absolutely fucking trash in Orlando. So if anybody is listening to this and knows the creative designer or the art director for the Orlando Magic, help them out. Help me out and help them out of a job. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, ending on a little bit of a negative note there. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, I'm very bitter and resentful, but that's going to do it for this podcast. If you did enjoy this episode, I'm not even going to plug that much stuff. We've been promoting our samples and presets now yeah, for like really. over an hour. You can head over to makepopmusic.com if you want to check that stuff out. We do have free packs over there as well. Head to our freebies tab. You don't have to buy anything if you don't want to. Other than that, hit us up on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Show us some love. Shout us out on social media. Hit us up at Make Pop Music on Instagram and on YouTube. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Let us know if you have any questions on Instagram. And other than that, much, much love. love. Peace. Peace.